Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this day we give you great thanks. Um, speak now as uh, we seek to listen. Uh, even as you speak, unclog our ears and clear our eyes so that our hearing and our sight may be sharpened to see you. For you are the vine, we are the branches. Apart from you we can do nothing. Um, create in us clean hearts and uh, the new affection for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are we're at the end of um, this uh, this short series tackled way too much text, um, John 13 through 17. These past five weeks, what's sometimes called the what's often called the upper room discourse, just because this is Jesus and his disciples on the uh, the night before he was betrayed, um, uh, as our liturgy says. And he takes them up to this upper room, this room which was, was prepared uh, ahead of time, and he, he speaks. Lots of famous passages that we went through. Um, the I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, I am the way, the truth, the life. Um, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not told, I wouldn't have told you so. His teaching on the Holy Spirit um, is, uh, is primary in all this. And now we're getting to the place here in John 17, which is the last, and it's, um, it's the longest... Uh, prayer that we have in the four Gospels. And for that reason, it's often called the Lord's Prayer, which is a little bit confusing as we call something else the Lord's Prayer. Um, This is the Lord's Prayer as he prays for um, himself, his disciples, and that would be the 11 disciples that are left in the room because Judas has just gone to do the deed that he was uh, chosen to do. Um, And then lastly, he prays for all believers, which is really um, uh, somewhat humbling because that's us. uh, now, certainly by inference, when he prays for the disciples, for the eleven, those eleven men specifically, by inference, there's much there that, that we can, can carry away. Um, but in some other ways, you know, we, which we won't get into in our short time, uh, that prayer was for them, who would largely become um, the, uh, well, um, not largely, they would become the building blocks of the apostolic witness which we have as they're the first apostles um, primarily in the terms of, of scripture um, but we're uh, that's probably the section we're going to look at the least we may not even read that section we may read just um, uh, uh, the first five verses where Jesus prays for himself and then the last six I guess it is um, where Jesus prays for all believers um, words from the end of the world I'm not going to go through that again uh, of why we called it that, because now we're at the end, I really want to say, um, as I was thinking about this class this week, in some ways the unspoken, uh, well, maybe semi-spoken thread throughout all of this, um, at least it was for me, was sort of using these these five chapters in John in somewhat of an unusual way, a way I didn't really see coming. And that was begin to question, you know, the whole to begin to question the whole question of choice. Now clearly we have choice. Um, I chose when to start this class. I'll choose when to stop it. You can choose to leave. That's a harder choice um, in the middle of it because of some social, you know, all that, which begins to beg the question. So what are the, what are the limits of choice and what are the freedoms of choice? You're somewhat limited by social constraints just to get up and leave right now. Now somebody could do it just to prove a point. Um, but, uh, but generally speaking, you know, you've sort of chosen to stay here until the speaker says, you know, we can leave. And it starts to beg some of those 
those other questions. Well, if it's got, if it's not, if choice isn't unlimited, then where's the ceiling? Um, and so through all that, with some, you know, trying to show some movie clips and talk about some famous psychology experiments and conclusions uh, by looking at different, uh, lots of different ways and medium to look at what the limits of choice are. Um, classically, you would turn this around and say, in what ways our wills are bound. Um, uh, Begging the question of our awareness. Um, what we are aware of and what we're not aware of. If our perception of reality, if our perception of things, if our perception of myself, of God, and of other people, and of his world, um, both this life and the life to come, is, is not only limited but severely impaired, which, with some humor, try to look at those in different ways, what, what might that mean? What, what could happen? Um, and we looked at some of that uh, last two weeks ago, because it was a marriage retreat last time, you know, with the funny sort of Mitchell and Webb, that English comedy team. I'm not real sure what their show is over there on the BBC, but it is pretty funny. Um, you know, looking at a man who uh, uh, has an alcoholic addiction, you know, and it's funny, but there's a, there's a certain element of where it's humor because it's, it's, uh, it's actually pretty reflective of truth, a limitation of how much the man could actually choose not to go through this elaborate ruse of, oh, look, this happens to be the lager beer, which is the you know, least expensive for the highest alcohol content in the whole shop. So, no, you don't say so. Um, so if you remember that, you were there. All this is to challenge autonomy. If I had to sort of retitle this class in arrears, um, that'd be the phrase, challenge autonomy, the play on challenge authority a few years ago. Uh, challenge autonomy, this idea of that I am an autonomous, rational, uh, self-aware, um, and, and self-perceiving person. That as Tommy is, and as Dee is, and as Caroline is, that all of us then together are all these autonomous people moving through. And then through that, we can come together at different times with a little bit of help of our friends. And you can build all sorts of philosophies on that. But the founding block is to challenge the question of, am I really autonomous? Or is there, in fact, a, um, a radical dependence? I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, the Lord says, right in the center of all this. And this is going to be reflected, I think, in his prayer. So that's just kind of bringing all this back, um, back to mind in some ways to, to tie this up. Uh, it would say... Words like, that you often hear, say, at a high school commencement address. That's where I usually pick on this. Um, follow your heart. Um, believe in yourself. Um, know yourself and believe that that's good enough. Um, follow your gut. Follow your feelings. Um, some of those, I would say, you know, at different times may be appropriate, but, but really, they're always all bad advice. And that's, that's bad advice. And I beg from our Lord that we have something more than advice. From him, um, that it's not simply advice. Uh, that would negate any part that he is for me if all he's doing is giving me advice. Um, so I said a lot there, but you can, uh, comments? Comments on it or <coughs> disagreements? Last video um, related to that awareness part. Um, if on our own we fail to notice the things that we fail to notice, in other words, we're blind. Um, and I'm not even aware of the things that I'm not aware of. Uh, means I'm going through life as if 
a blind man. Um, I guess one place this would be in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, why are you so concerned with the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you've got this plank, this, this two by four by twelve sticking out of your own, uh, walking around, knocking everybody around with it? Um, that's the question of awareness. Um, can we become through the unnatural work of God and His Holy Spirit, the one who was called alongside the paraclete that we heard so much about, particularly in chapters 15 and 16. Can we become aware of some of the things that we weren't previously aware of, um, like my limitations on choice, and like uh, the existence of, um, of a world beyond this one, that if I actually knew that I'd be curled up in a fetal position um, drinking bourbon as that that Coffee with Jesus cartoon several weeks ago uh, tried to illustrate. Um, If I became aware of some of the things that I am not aware of, what might that look like? And so here's a small, you know, funny little video um, to to bring this up. Do you think y'all can see that? I'll turn one light off. Um, It's very short. It's like a minute. Um, Actual test... Uh, there's going to be, what, eight people. Um, they're going to be passing a basket. Two, one's going to be the, the white team, one's going to be the black team. The white team's going to be in white, the black team in black. Um, and it's going to ask us to count how many passes the white team makes. So, um, so get ready. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? How many? 14? 12? How many say 12? How many say 13? How many say 14? How many are ready to be set up for something else? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is 13. Congratulations. You're brilliant. But did you see the moonwalking bear? (laughs) Does my know what he's talking about? No. Did you see it? Okay. (laughs) See him? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Um, We fail to notice the things that we fail to notice. Um, And here it's kind of funny and actually. I didn't even know this was like for, you know, bicycle awareness, which I ride a bike, so I hope you notice that people ride a bike. Um, but just the whole idea, we fail to notice what we fail to notice. How else does that sometimes play out? Here's a funny thing where we're so locked in on the ball. I totally fell for it. When I did this, I mean, I was counting, and I only counted 12 passes. And so I was like, what, 13? And then I've been walking bare. <laughs> and I went back, and he was sure enough there the whole time. So, um we fail to notice what we fail to notice. Our capacity for perception, awareness, um, uh, massively limited. Massively limited. It's a very interesting part. If you read any anything, whether it's Newsweek, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Time, lots of articles are coming out now, which is a very strange sort of ally of sort of classically um, reformed and Augustinian theology that... Uh, 
that really is casting significant doubt on uh, this idea of autonomy, this idea that we are autonomous and free-thinking individuals. Um, just watch for it. It's really interesting. It's usually going to be called neuroscience or neurobiology or something like that, but it's not boring. They're doing some really interesting sort of fun experiments, kind of like this, to realize how, um, in some ways, how simply, how simple we are and how simply and predictably irrational, to, to borrow um, title of a great book by this behavioral economist that I've talked about a few times in this series, uh, how predictably irrational we are. Most people, most of the time, miss it, whatever it is. Any comments or any further thoughts on where this also applies, our failing to notice the things that we fail to notice? Let me flip it back. What's the difference? There's not much. Yeah. If, if you're holding to a particular ontology, I mean, right. if you're holding that sin, if, if you hold, I guess, that there's a pre fall and a post fall, then there is a difference. There, there's a difference, but the, the difference is a status. Right. It's, right, it's a status. Absolutely. It's a spiritual status. And if we, being sons of Adam, yeah. you know, I, there's no difference until glory, which is going to be a substantial part of this, this passage until we are glorified in God and can somehow, in whatever way it's uh, John is saying, which Paul echoes in, in 1 Corinthians 2 and then also in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, in a certain sense, you know, this is a limited word, um, participate in the Trinity, in the Trinitarian uh, relationship, which is infinitely boundless. Because there's the difference. Right now we are infinitely bound and we are even stuck in the things that we're not aware of. Um, and we're not even aware that we're stuck. Now, that's a pretty bad combination, but it's going to be as massively different uh, as light is from day, as the created is from the creator, as um, heaven is from earth, or better, maybe it's the same heaven is from hell. Um, yeah. I, don't mean I know where else you're going, but go ahead. It would be helpful. The reason why I ask it is, and, and, and the reason why I bring it up, because it's something that I wrestle with a lot. You know, um, if we're postmodernism, right? If you, if you go with sort of the 20th century philosophical categories, you know, well, we're irrational. We are not rational. Right. But I don't know that Christians, would we say we're irrational or that reason doesn't complete us, right? It's sure. It's not a denial of reason, I don't think. No, 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 no. Yeah, good. In Christ, staying with these parts, I am the way, the truth, and that, what is it? Uh, I forget the Greek. Um, what's that? Um, Alalithia or something like that. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of what it is. There's a certain ontological or, or core of, of Christ being, which is, we might say, rational, um, uh, at least in his personality. He is, he is truth. He's not the truth. Um, he is truth, the core embodiment of of, uh, of whatever that might mean. And so I know what you're going, or I, I can begin to approach where you're going, Jason, with the um, uh, sort of enlightenment post-Descartian, I think, therefore I am, um, and then postmodernism, and maybe it's a place where postmodernism is, is actually sort of stumbled towards something closer 
uh, with an emphasis on community and all that. This is going to be, it's going to work this out loud. If, if Descartes's wrong, I think therefore I am. Boy, this is boring stuff for I know some of y'all, but hang on, we're almost done. Um, I think therefore I am. The Trinity would say, if we're made in the Imago Dei, Dei the, 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 I relate, I relate, therefore I am. I exist in relationship to somebody, capital B, else. And that defines my being. Now, that's a theme I've chased in my classes, you know, several times at different points over the last few years. And it's very un... It, it's, it's downplaying reason, which I think a lot of us, whether you're in a counseling context and it's the whole sort of stinking thinking is resulting in all sorts of issues, which is true sometimes, or uh, at a much deeper level, um, to challenge this idea of autonomy, that I am... Autonomous, literally, I am a law unto myself. That's a dangerous and harmful proposition. I know I'm still not going right where you are, no, but um, no, um, it, it, it seems like it is a tension in the, that we have to live with in the 21st century. That yeah, because we're founded on a rational project, project. right? The Enlightenment, whole Enlightenment project, the civic good uh, of how we're going to exist in community. Is founded on the idea. Well, we are rational people, you know. And a lot of people, you know, you work in medicine. We don't want to say, well, we just make this up. Clearly, kind of do. But, but you know, I mean, there's certain you fly an airplane or whatever. Certain things are at work that that we would say reason allows us to know, but reason doesn't complete us. Right. But that doesn't undermine the fact that we're ra- rational e- either. And it just seems like Christianity is the only narrative that allows that to be completed. Yeah. To me, as good. opposed to just leaving it either pure autonomy, you know, sort of pure autonomy, you do whatever you want, you're law unto yourself, right. sort of that sophomoric, or um, everything is just is, is pure nature. You know, there is no supernatural. Right. There is no completion. Nature is complete in itself. It's yeah. a closed system. Yeah. And, and it seems Christianity violates both of them. Yeah. It says nature is not complete in itself. It's dependent. Nature is dependent. And you're dependent. As part of nature, but it, but you but you still have reason. Sure. I, I, I don't yeah, I might just say, and then we'll move from here to the text. I always like to make sure we actually read the Bible and then just talk about it. Um, I would hope that we are, in fact, when we challenge our autonomy, we then become gloriously, and that's a really heavy word. It's going to be here in John 17. We become gloriously free, in fact, to be autonomous, and be gloriously free, in fact, to be rational or reasonable. reasonable. Um, and it's going to be that, that word of freedom, which is going to be a really important word. And here I am prefacing you know, an interesting ally in theology is neuroscience. Well, that is, I hope, a field that is built upon rational and reasonable enlightenment principles, um, observation, you know, experimentation, etc. and so forth. So, um, but for me, you know, said before, I just like to teach classes so I can work through stuff. Um, this is all really interesting to me. So I don't know who else is interested, but we'll go. Um, let's turn to, uh, to John 17. We'll start there. Um, let's do, let's read, um, I'm going to read, uh, let's just start with 1 through 5. 
When Jesus, spoke, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you are the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus puts out a lot of um, sort of lightning rods or uh, uh, yeah, lightning rods that attract a lot of, of electricity here in these 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 uh, in this short passage. The hour has come. Um, glorify your son that some may glorify you there's lots to say there but it's another claim of divinity as in the Old Testament God says I will share my glory with no man I will share my glory with no thing anything that was created and this is the creedal part of the creedal uh, uh, the creed came into being to say he's very God a very God begotten of the Father not made as he, he participates as he shares in the glory of the Father which is not shared with any made or created thing um, the idea of authority and eternal life. Um, this is eternal life that you know the only true God, which goes all the way back to the Shema out of Deuteronomy. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's a big, big, big deal in, uh, in Judaism. And we get that as Christians in the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God, the one who is the one true God. Very strong sort of monotheistic idea of uh, you shall love him with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That all comes, it's a strong echo there, but now he's widening it to say, that God, that's me, you know, the one who is sharing in this. Um, and then the pre-existence part, which has been Paul's, I mean, John's word from the beginning, you know, literally, in the beginning of his gospel, where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And without the word, nothing was made that had been made. Um, and he's saying it again, God, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before anything else was, you and I were with the Holy Spirit. Um, and in some way, this is where we're going to stop and pull this out, whatever this means, this mutual glory, this mutual glorification. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time with that. But any comments on that? Just the, the text beginning, beginning to get an orientation is Jesus, who is God, you know, is praying to the Father, praying to himself in a certain sense, you know, which is always kind of weird. Um, any thoughts or comments, questions? Well, Keller, Tim Keller, whom a lot of us know, um, I think he called this once the ancient love, this pre-existent love that, um, that the Trinity has in themselves. This is a strongly Trinitarian chapter. Um, it'd be hard to talk about this and not really confront the Trinity. And most of Scripture, all of Scripture, is as the Trinity in the background. Some parts of it become a lot more to the fore. This is one of the ones where it's you know, front and center, um, uh, sort of you know, in plain sight, so to speak. Uh, to glorify, especially here, well, let's go in order. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, a familiar phrase, a familiar posture for prayer. 
um, and said, Father, and this is Pater, not, not, not Abba, whatever that, that doesn't matter, but um, Father, the hour has come. Now, there's a lot of tension. If, we're reading, if we were reading the whole gospel together, he would keep saying from the beginning, say John 2, great sort of angular Jesus passage, you know, passages I don't really like. Uh, when he goes to the wedding in Cana, um, and his mom says, Jesus, they're out of wine. You know, and she's like, woman, leave me alone. It's not my hour. It's the same word. That's what he says. It's not my time. My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And he repeats that several other times. Uh, well, now it's come. And so if you're reading that, if you're reading John as a gospel, say, during Lent, you would keep wondering, when is this hour coming? And it would make it plain that the hour which is coming is his crucifixion because Jesus and John in particular makes no, there's no hiding. He says, I will, uh, my hour will be in my hour of death. Um, we'll say, we'll say it now. And what's strange in that hour is what Jesus is not saying. Let's look at it in negation. He is not saying that my hour is almost here. Before that hour comes, that hour where I will be glorified, and we'll say more about what that means in just a moment. He says it's, it's not almost here. He says it, it is here. We would expect that that hour would come after he dies, and that hour would be when he is resurrected. That hour would be, look, I am triumphant. Look, death has no, no, no bonds over me. Um, that the death would be shame. And that's, that's key in making sense of, of, say, evil or my own tendencies that I never can shake, um, why I'm already off my Lenten discipline, why, you know, all these things. Uh, the hour of Christ's crucifixion is shameful, and that's exactly the shame is the glory of God. Um, the hour of Christ's death in all of its shame is the glory of God. Paul picks this up with great weight, obviously in 1 Corinthians again, uh, where it's foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews because this hour is nonsensical and offensive. The scandal on, bringing a lot of our themes together. Um, the hour has come, and it's the transformation of shame to glory. And what is this glory? Well, comments on that? Father, the hour has come. Um, from henceforth, the flogging, the monkey trial, the, uh, the, 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 the scourgings, the whippings, the, the crucifixion, the death itself is the hour of God's glory. Um, phrase I repeat three times a week. The wrath of God poured out upon himself. Um, who can understand? Uh, it's worthwhile to resolve to know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified and to wonder what, what Lord, what is that to me? Um, the wrath of God poured out upon himself. Um, comments on the hour? Well, then Christ's imperative. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. This is a, it's a strange word. Glory and, 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 uh, and glorify. Um, and, and a word that I have no mastery over whatsoever. I can only begin to approach it. It's a word that's really you know, sort of a lifelong word for me. 
Um, it's got weight. The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis taught me that. Um, that there's a material matter, there's a material substance uh, that pre-existed, um, that, that presses in upon us. So that's, that's certainly a part of what this means. Father, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. It has um, all of the different ideas of, say, magnification or being honored or rendered excellent, um, of, of, uh, of having it focused, um, sort of in an earthly way. I think one way that this mutuality of glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, if you remember the time that you were in love with somebody else, that's what you were doing. We're glorifying each other, where each of you were so blind um, that you rendered the other excellent, and you always lifted them up and magnified the other person in your life. They had a certain place and position in your life that you would do just crazy, stupid things. You know, like, it's fine. I know you live eight hours away, but you see, I've got a day off, and so I can drive eight hours, and we can spend three hours together and then drive home and I can sleep and then get up the next day. You know, I'll have like four hours of sleep. I'm fine. I mean, those kinds of things. Um, glorify the Son. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. And this glory is there on the cross. Um, since you have given Him this one in whom there's this mutuality and this reciprocity of, uh, of magnification, of being rendered excellent, of of an absolute 100% complete lack of jealousy um, where each is totally in deference to the other. Um, uh, Then the statement follows, Since you, Father, have given him, the Son, authority over all flesh, over all mankind, over all creation. Authority. I only saw this like two years ago. The root is author. Have given him authorship over all creation. I usually think of, I used to think of authority as, you know, sort of the schoolmaster, the stern, like, you know, do this. And then I saw the the, the word author, um, where it's the uh, it's the definitive word. Um, that's what it literally means. The the the, the book or the the uh, the sentence, the verdict, the final word which settles everything. Um, authorship. The author settles everything. He says, this is the way it is. Uh, and Christ has that word, the author and perfecter of our faith, of our stories. Um, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Um, and this is a great verse, and we're going to skip down to the words at the bottom. Uh, and this is eternal life. And this is very similar in John 6 where somebody says, Lord, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus picks it up, and without batting an eye, so it would seem, he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. To place, and that word belief is, is not just cognitive, but, but the, 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 whole, the whole being, to trust, is probably a good paraphrase as well. Um, to trust in the one whom he has sent, the one who now we see has all authority and this reciprocal glorification that's going on. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This ancient and infinite and non-jealous and competitive love, which always places the other before itself. Here's a thunder. Um, with some time running out. Um, 
go down to verse 20. We're going to go up to um, probably verse 24. Um, I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Who will believe in me through their word, the scripture, as the apostles you know, received the, uh, the word of God through the Holy Spirit, which we heard in John 14, Jesus said, you'll remember things more clearly than you think possible. You will uh, and, and write them down. That's going to be the Bible, is what he was saying. Uh, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am you, that they may also be in us, this abide in me, for apart we can do nothing. And as you abide in me, I will take you to the Father. Uh, and there will be a unity, an indissoluble unity, without jealousy, without need, without want, without competition, without judgment, without criticism, without any, anything lacking. Uh, they will be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Full stop. That's the phrase, in fact, uh, that I never saw it before, that I saw it as I was preparing this. Um, that they may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Jesus has taken huge pains here in, 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 in these five chapters, but especially in this chapter and the verses preceding it, to describe this Trinitarian, fantastic, mutually reciprocal, and non-jealous love which exists within the Trinity. And then the deep thing of God, which the Holy Spirit impresses upon us, is that we have been loved uh, by God, even as God loves the Son. And that's a healing and comfortable word. That's a word that frees us to whatever end, whether it's the freedom now to, uh, towards autonomy, towards a proper sense of myself outside of the wall, uh, or towards a proper sense of reason, or revelation, if you want to call it that. This is what frees a Christian to, um, uh, to participate in the world and its activities. Medicine, law, poker, um, uh, uh, you know, baseball, um, raising children, you, you just name it. It's what frees us to participate in the world. It's from this chapter. It's not actually in there, but the phrase that a lot of us have heard, uh, you know, I seek to be in the world, but not of the world. You could say it's a biblical idea, and it comes out of John 17. It's not, it's not a lifted phrase, but, but it's right. Um, and we would get that here. That we would know that we are loved, even as the Father loves the Son. I'm going to stop, um, just because that seems like a, uh, an appropriate place. That's heady stuff. Um, for me, it is, anyway. This sense uh, where in plain English, huh? um, the beginning, just another way for me to approach the depth of the Father's love for me. Um, that's, uh, it arrests, 
and then it frees. Comments or thoughts? speaking uh, who is it one of y'all may know just somebody I think relatively recently in the last few years in culture observed how um, how disconnected executives or anybody sort of in a whatever the bureaucracy or the system is and they're working how um, how disconnected they are from from uh, from others you know, CEOs of corporations. They uh, they really have very few, you know, real relationships because you can see the structure, you know, and it just goes down through the pyramid where all these people have connections. Uh, it's very lonely up there. And just as you were talking, thinking of practical ways this really moves out, um, that sense of disconnectedness is, uh, it's difficult, it's dangerous, it's... Uh, it's defeating, it's fatiguing, it's, um, uh, it's not healthy, and it's not intended. The participation, uh, that's it. Well, it's back to that awareness, too, yeah. because you can't see yourself. You can't see your disconnection, yeah. that's right. You so. can't see it unless other people are saying. Because 27,000 people report to me. Right. How could I be disconnected? Right. So, yeah. That's true, by the way. 27,000 people report to me. <laughs> I didn't need it. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, thank y'all. Thank you for John. Um, uh, it's been an interesting time for me. I really enjoyed the preparation and all of this, these different ideas of our um, of our boundedness, and then the great and glorious freedom. We have been loved uh, in the same way. That by the Father, in the same way that the Father loves the Son. Um, thanks be to God. Let me pray. Lord, take, um, take your word and strengthen it. Take my words, which were not from you, and, uh, and erase them. And allow that work uh, cast upon us by the word to be done in your way, not lack for anything. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.